Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Pratt, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is a fabulous returning guest, Rebecca Moore. I cannot believe that she was on the podcast back on episode 210. We are almost at 700 episodes. So it's been a little while now, Rebecca, since we last talked. But I'm super excited to have you back on the show, sharing more about what you've been doing in the space and just reconnecting again. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, and I'm thrilled that you asked me back. So thank you so much. This is going to be a really great, fun conversation about where both you and I have been and where we're going. So let's go. All right. So Rebecca, you focus primarily on the multifamily syndication space. And that's the place where we also focus as well. Since we last talked, give us an update of, you know, what have you been doing since then? Maybe some of the lessons that you've learned and how you've grown from doing a lot of the past investor sides to I know you're doing a lot more on the general partner side, asset management as well. Yes, that is true. So I think that back when we last talked, I might have just been getting into my third syndication. And after that, things really took off because what I believe is that I really got my feet under me. I really felt much more confident. I also felt like I had a really nice foundation of investors. So that gives you the confidence to go after more buildings, you know, knowing that you can fundraise and also having, again, a couple years of asset management under you and knowing how to do the draws, let's say, with lenders and get your CapEx done. So that walk became a run. And so these past couple of years, I've been able to get myself up to eight buildings now. And so that's been really, really terrific. But I have certainly learned plenty of lessons and it will be great to share with your audience some of those lessons. So let's start with partners. And I'm sure that you have spoken about this plenty of times. We have definitely wanted to get partners that are steady, but Wonderfully, I know a lot of people and luckily have a lot of opportunities to partner with many folks. And so in dabbling with folks, I've learned that you really want to talk to them out the gate. (laughs) And I don't just mean talk to them, but I mean really have some deep conversations with people because maybe Eileen, you've had conversations with people and you think that you are really seeing people eye to eye and you have the exact same values. But then when you get into a partnership with those folks, it's like, oops, (laughs) maybe we didn't talk well enough. And here are a couple of examples. One is in my 
world, I love to communicate with my investors. And that is easily in the form of monthly updates of giving the folks, you know, here's what's happening on the property, our easy KPIs, occupancy, what's the income, what's the delinquency, what is the CapEx going on, easy figures that most asset managers do. Well, I found out that the folks that I was working with on one of my properties, they said, hey, we really want to take the reins. You, you know, just watch. And if we have questions, you know, we'll come to you. But let us asset manage. Said, yeah, great. No problem. And then they weren't sending any uh, monthly updates. And I would ask them and they would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do that. And then they didn't do it. And I thought, what on earth are you thinking? You know, because for us at Starboard Equity, investor relationships are absolutely number one. And I'm sure that that is the same with you guys and with most of your listeners out there. So it has just been astonishing that that wasn't the case with these folks. And it was actually really sad. So when it comes to partnering up with people, really have those detailed conversations and don't make assumptions about what seems just so logical like I did, because it just makes sense. I totally agree because... We haven't gotten into partnerships. We were fortunate enough that before we got into partnerships, we realized some of the synergies and the work ethic wasn't up to par for what we were expecting from a partner. And that kind of all worked itself out. So it was good timing. And we were fortunate enough that that hasn't happened. But... For us, we recognize it also, especially when you're looking to build up those relationships. One of the things that we like to do also, and that has really lend itself really well for us, at least so far, has been able to walk the deals together, like do the underwriting together, talk through Mm -hmm. those types of things. And then that really shows their communication styles, how they are looking at things, their strategies. And then it's taking us so much more time now to build up those relationships. It's so much longer because, as you said, once you get into those relationships and they don't work up to par, it's really hard to operate and to kind of get past certain things in a partnership and and to really succeed and move forward together as a team if one side is not performing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm glad that you brought that up because... We did underwrite with them. We did go through so many of the early steps with them. We had been friends previously. So it was really, really strange, really strange. You know, you think you know them. And a lot of us and the listeners here are probably saying, yeah, that happened to me too. So it could happen. Hopefully things will work out. And I know that with our friends, it's going to work out. It's just wasn't wasn't really what we expected. And then another story is one that we did, you know, we were able to iron out very fast, but what we thought we had the same vision was when we started distributions, 
we started very slowly and we'll continue to do those slowly. But our partner said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think we should stop, you know, and, you know, things are tight. And I thought, no way, no way. I don't care if we give everybody $5 a piece. I am not stopping distributions because again, investor relations means everything to me. But for him, it was his first syndication and he is not a big fundraiser. Someday he might be, but that was not on his radar per se. And it was a teaching moment that, no, please do not think about taking back the distributions because that is huge for the investor. And I I was kind of shocked by that. But maybe, you know, again, maybe that was me because that is so high on my list of being a syndicator that my investors absolutely come first. And I don't want to at all shake that tree, you know, of, of their confidence in me. So letting your partners in the very beginning know exactly what your highest expectations are. That's a learning lesson for me that I have now that if I were to go into another syndication with somebody, they need to know these are my top priorities. That's something, again, that I'm learning as I go. So for those types of conversations, those are a little bit difficult to approach because now the partners are not seeing eye to eye. How do you talk to those partners and how do you get them to see and coach and let them know what's your priority if you're already in it together at that point in time? Yeah, that's a good question here. I'm in the lucky position of having have 10 years now behind me and being able to say to uh, potential partners, this is what I expect. That's a really good question. I think that those hearing this podcast right now might be able to reference back to you and I and saying, you know, I heard Eileen and Rebecca talking and that this is a priority for them to experience syndicators. So maybe we should make it a priority for us going forward. So by listening and talking to experienced syndicators that this is a good idea so that they can say, it's not me who is saying it's a must. It's people who know better than I do who say it's a a must. So let's take this on. I think that's a, a good way to do it. So partnerships is one. What is another one that you found to be something that you've had to learn over the time since we last chatted as well? I will say that especially now in these times, financially, that the financing of the building is the most important piece. I think when I got started 10 years ago, it was really great. So Fannie, Freddie, of course, everybody will say, you know, the cap rates were falling. It was a great time to get in. And it was. And so now the lessons learned from many is that the financial piece of how you finance your building is where the rubber meets the road and everybody has to be very careful. So that is a lesson for everyone 
Don't just jump in. Understand the lending side and have a good relationship with your lender. So I think that is very important. And also having that delayed gratification. I know that this is a very exciting business and that everybody does want to just jump in, but you don't need to buy the first thing that you see. For myself, my story is that it took me nearly a year and a half, if not more, 26 LOIs before I got my first deal. Okay. I'm the tortoise, not the hare. As I, as you and I just said at the beginning of the, of this episode is that I didn't get my feet under me for at least the first four years. I was not fast. And in fact, I think those who go fast, it it might be a real challenge, sort of going a little bit slower, getting to know how to asset manage a deal, how to really take it, take an acquisition and make it a great deal might be a better learning curve than going fast. So those are some very good lessons learned. Again, being able to take that asset and to drive your CapEx plan over that first year, maybe sometimes two years to make it a great asset and then get your next acquisition and make that a great asset is a really wonderful way to move. Because when you get your projections, whether you're doubling your investor's money, 80% on their money, whatever you projected, if you make that marker better, You're creating an excellent reputation for yourself that will get you years to come of investors and your own confidence to be a great syndicator in the future. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. I know, and especially with social media in today's market, it's so easy to get caught up and people are doing deals. People are growing exponentially fast and looking at these things and being so anxious and wanting to get in the game, grow, scale your business. But sometimes you got to take it at your own pace and then making sure that you have the fundamentals really solid before you start moving and growing and, and growing. Because if one of the legs that you're building is shorter than the other, that chair that or table or whatever you're trying to build is going to topple over eventually. But if you can solidify everything, make sure that all the legs of the table, the chair are all the same length, you have a good solid foundation for whatever you decide to do later on. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that makes you and your partners and your investors feeling like you're on level ground and that everything about your next venture is stable. In real estate, it's not a get rich quick kind of thing. It's slow and steady. Look at this long term. How do we build wealth over time? It'll just take time. And sometimes we we get a little anxious and wanting to reach our goals, but we got to take an approach as this is we're in it for the long haul. Very true. And so Rebecca, are you focusing or have you expanded the areas and the markets that you've been investing in also? Or are there certain markets where you're more bullish on now today than you were in the past? Yes, I have expanded, you could say, to Houston, where just a few years before we had stayed away from Houston. And the thought then a few a number of years ago was, well, you know, Houston is mainly gas and oil. But that is not true. It is now where we have invested in the medical corridor. And there's a lot more diversity there now. So that is where we have now four buildings and and one I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, very much more into Houston and kind of closing the gap between Houston and Dallas. And so earlier also, you talked a little bit about the KPIs that you expect to be communicated also to some to the investors and, and things like that. But what about on the property management side, when you're working with your other partners within the deal as well on, on managing the assets itself, like what are some of the things that you also are managing to and making sure that they are hitting these performance indicators and they're hitting those targets on a month-to-month, week-to-week basis? Yeah, one that I really like to look at is the occupancy 90 days out. So what is, I guess it's kind of fun really to look at, is that the manager will tell us about the expiring leases. So 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days. And we talk about okay, have you spoken to, let's say, those people who are leaving in May? We have this podcast recording here in April, so we're talking May. And then what about June? And we want to know who is renewing their lease and can we get those renewals all the way out to June, those, you know, 60 days ahead of us right now? And why is it that those folks are leaving? Can we get them to stay? What kind of incentives can we get to stay that aren't necessarily giving them a month's free rent? Because again, that gets into my NOI, my net income. So I don't want to lower that. So we want to make sure that we are always backfilling with more new tenants so that we always are around that 95, 97% occupancy. So that is something that I have learned over these few years that I like to keep a watch on. Are you looking at 
the economic occupancy and the economic occupancy? And do you put more heavy emphasis on one or the other? So yeah, the economic and the physical vacancy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I guess essentially, you know, both are go hand in hand. So in the case that I was just talking about, that is the physical vacancy in talking about these leases. Can we backfill these leases if we know about the 30-day and 60-day, who is leaving, who is staying? If we have a really good idea about that, then we're going to have a really good idea about how to backfill that. As far as the economic vacancy, that is a little bit more of who's paying and who's not paying, right? So that we can't necessarily use our crystal ball for. That is definitely finding the best tenant that we can. And so, for example, with the a couple of the Houston properties, they are actually very close to the medical corridor that I talked about earlier. And we target a lot of the employees there, whether it's the you know doctors and nurses all the way to the support staff. And we know that those folks have good jobs and steady jobs. So by focusing on a good tenant, we can at least up our odds to have somebody who is going to be able to pay. So again, all about the tenants. So Rebecca, are there any other lessons that you've learned along your journey so far that you can also share with us or any other lessons or challenges that you've seen other people in the industry start to make that you can help enlighten and share with us as well. This might be a personal one for Warren and I of Starboard Equity. We recently got a beautiful property that has fireplaces and we had a fire. (laughs) Unfortunately, luckily no one was hurt. And it ended up that it had nothing to do with the tenant, the fire, or the flu for which the fire goes up into. But apparently, on the outside of the flu, so here's the chimney box, here's the flu, but in between that, either a bird or a mouse or who knows what had nesting material in between, and that caught fire. So that's something nobody would have seen. And I might not buy another apartment building that has fireplaces. (laughs) So maybe your listeners can consider that. So again, that's that's just a personal thing, but it is just kind of crummy. Maybe think twice when you see chimneys. Yes. There you go. Advice from Starboard Equity. (laughs) Think about fireplaces because you just don't know. This is a totally related, but I remember one time when you're talking about the chimneys and and the fireplaces, I remember one time at my parents' place, they had a bee's nest that had made their way into the chimneys. And so one of the days I remember the bees started coming down the chimney 
and started coming into the house. <laughs> oh no. And this is when I remember this is when me and my sister were very young. And so we were like, what are we going to do? So we like had to tape up the openings of the chimney so no more bees could get in. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> oh, scary. <laughs> yes. So yes, I'm right there with you on the chimney thing. <laughs> I can look at it. <laughs> They're beautiful aesthetically, but it is another layer of risk for apartment owners. Yes. Something mm -hmm. that you won't really think about also, but they are right. they are very beautiful to look at. Right. And you can get the chimney cleaned, but they're only going to clean the flue, not between the chimney box and the flue. So we would have never been able to prevent that fire. So Rebecca, what are you focusing on in the upcoming future here in real estate? I am definitely focusing on newer builds because with the cap rates where they are, being able to buy a newer building at the same price as older buildings, that is what I am looking at. And also that they have a little less um, expense to them. And again, being open to the Dallas and the Houston market, because that is something that I know. So really excited about what's coming up, even though, you know, again, people are saying that this is a tough time. There are gems out there. We just need to be careful and to look for them, those gems that are still there. Rebecca, where can our listeners find out more about you? at starboardequity.com. And please come join our Starboard Equity Club so you can find out what we're doing as well as see our blog so you can educate yourself about all things syndication. We'd love to have you. Awesome. Rebecca, thank you so much for being back here on the show. I really loved your update and all that you shared with us today. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. It's always great to be here with you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.